Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called The Way of Jesus, a study in the Gospel of Mark. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live the way of Jesus. Thank you for joining us. Some of you probably know I was actually born in Vancouver, Canada, eh? Um, As a pastor's kid. And our house, back in those days, our house was right next to the church. And I'm telling you that because I was a bit of a wild child. Uh, In fact, I was an incredible climber. This is what the church knew me for. By the age of one, I could climb a double crib. My parents had to double crib me. And by the age of three, I had figured out a system to climb our swing set, jump over our six-foot fence, and get down onto the street on the other side with my dog and with a stroller. And the problem is, this was a very busy street in Vancouver, similar to Wabash. But there I would be walking my dog in my stroller down this busy street, only wearing a diaper at the age of three. And oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times, someone from our church would see me, pick me up, bring me up to my dad's office and go, I believe this is your son. (laughs) I'm telling you that because years later, when I had grown up, whenever I would meet somebody from that church, all they could think of is, you're the kid who would push your dog in a stroller with a diaper. And I couldn't live that down. And today, as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus, Jesus has a similar experience when he returns home, the way people view him there. And then in the rest of the passage, Jesus is going to send out his disciples to continue his mission. And I'm going to, I kind of believe these two passages, though they don't seem to be, are connected in a very meaningful and powerful way. So that's what we're going to walk through together. And the idea here is that if you're following, Jesus prepares us for what being sent ones will require. All of us, if you are a disciple of Jesus, have been sent into this world as his missionary. And he's going to talk about what that means and how to prepare us for those things. So if you haven't already, I encourage you to grab your Bible, turn it to the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 6, verse 1. You can find this on page 816 in the Black Bibles, in the seat underneath you there if you don't have a Bible. Now, if you haven't been with us, just a little context. We're in the middle of this section in Mark's Gospel where we are just seeing a tremendous amount of authority and power shown by Jesus. I mean, he's healing diseases. Lepers are being healed. Blind people are having sight. He tells the creation of the world to cease, right? He says, this giant storm, stop with one word. And they lis- it listens. Last week, we saw these two incredible stories of his power over disease and ultimately even death. And if you've been with us, you see that news about him is spreading everywhere. And crowds are just overwhelming him right now. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. So you can be excited because of what we read in verse 1. Jesus left there, Jairus' home, and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Let's pause here, right? This is going to be the best homecoming ever, parades, glitter, all the stuff, I'm sure. I mean, I remember this last year, the Golden State Warriors won another championship, and you remember the parades. You couldn't even move down the streets. People were so excited to have them home and celebrate with them their victory. It's going to be just like that. Verse 2, when Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Pause. That word amazed can be a little bit misleading for us today. We often think only that means great things. They're amazed in a good way. But the Greek word is actually astonished, which could mean 
either way, right? They're astonished at what they're seeing here. And what are they seeing? Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Now listen, they can't deny what he's doing. They can't deny his powerful teaching. They can't deny the miracles that they're experiencing and seeing. But they're asking this question, where is this actually coming from? Why? Because of verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. No parades, no celebration. They take offense at Jesus. Have you heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That's what we have going on here. If you're following, his familiarity with them caused them to show contempt. Those who were closest to Jesus growing up were offended by the fact that such wisdom and power and authority could come from someone they knew. And why? Because here's the key. He was just like them. He's not special. Notice they had contempt with his work. Is not this the carpenter? This is meant to be a demeaning kind of comment. This man, he's just a village handyman. There's nothing great about him. The contempt grows. Isn't this Mary's son? This is a cheap slam. Sons and daughters were always referred to as their father's child back in these days. Even if that father had passed away, which many believe Joseph had by this point in Jesus' life. But it has a deeper meaning than this. Aren't you the illegitimate child of Mary who claims to be giving you birth through the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, come on, give me a break. It continues, they had contempt for his brothers and sisters. Are you not the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are his sisters here, are not his sisters here with us? I mean, you've seen these troublemakers in the classroom. You know these kids. Those boys, they just broke the window playing baseball last week of my house. There is nothing special about Jesus. He is just like you and me, and so they treat him with contempt. And friends, there's nothing New to this today, this idea of contempt. We should be familiar with it. It's everywhere in our culture. It's a disease. Contempt can slip easily into our hearts if we're not careful. And Jesus tells us what grows in our hearts will eventually come out of our mouths. And if you're following, contempt devalues people to justify our anger. Instead of honoring Jesus, they show him contempt. They devalue him because they're offended. They're angry about the things that he is saying and the things that he is doing. The Greek word is literally, they are scandalized. They cannot see Jesus for who he really is. And we too must be careful not to devalue people so we don't see them for who they really are. A person created in the image of God and therefore inherently has value and honor to him. They could not do that. Look how Jesus responds in verse four. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. Now, of course, Jesus has already proven he's much more than a prophet, right? He's, he's done things that prove he's way beyond prophet status. He's like another level here. But what is he talking about? He's talking about how the Old Testament prophets were always rejected. Whenever they would go to the people of Israel and say, come back to God, repent, believe he wants to be merciful to you, they would turn their backs on him and continue in their sin. Now, God has sent his very own son 
to the people of Israel saying, come back to God. I've come for you. I've come to rescue you and redeem you. And here he's being rejected by the people who should have received him the most. Now, let's read verses five and six out loud on our notes there. Some of the saddest verses in the gospels in my mind. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Again, that word amazed could be astonished. And we've seen in the gospel, sometimes Jesus is astonished by people's incredible faith, right? We saw it last week with this woman who was bleeding. She just wants to touch the edge of his cloak. He's amazed by that kind of faith. But sadly here, He's equally astonished by these people's lack of faith. If you're on your notes, Christ is astonished by a lack of faith. And here we're confronted with the mystery of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. Some people who have every opportunity to hear the good news and know the good news think you were raised in a Christian home, still reject it. Other people who you would think they have no chance. They will never accept the message of the kingdom of Jesus like the demon-possessed man from two weeks ago. They hear the word of God and it penetrates deep into their heart. This is the mystery of the gospel, like the parable of the four soils. You don't know when seed is gonna take root in a person's heart. Now I wanna make a quick comment about Jesus not being able to do any miracles there, right? That's kind of a weird, weird little statement. Was he not like there's some sort of connection here between faith and him being able to do miracles. And the answer to that is yes and no. Let me make it clear. Jesus could not do miracles there because he would not do miracles there. Faith is a prerequisite for spiritual blessing, for spiritual growth, for spiritual goodness. There cannot be miracles without it. In other words, Jesus could not show his power, would not show his power because these people didn't even want to see it. I know this is a terrible example, but think about like a real famous magician. He shows up on the street. People know who he is. They know what he's done. He's ready to do his act, and people just sort of turn their backs and go, we're not interested. You think he would continue to do his act? No, he'd walk away and be like, whoa, that was weird. They know what I can do, and yet they refuse to receive it. In the same way, they know what Jesus has done. They know what he's preaching But because they refuse and reject it, he can't do anything there for them. Matthew makes this even more clear in his version of the story. He writes, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Unbelief freezes Jesus' power. Don't you wonder what could have happened in that village if they had actually received him the way that he deserved I mean, the same things that he had been doing would have happened there. He could have healed diseases. He could have fed the hungry. He could have set the captives free, but without faith. Isn't that a sad verse? All he could do was heal a few sick people. And this lack of faith astonished him. I would not want that said about me, would you? It's an important lesson for us today, church. If you're falling on your notes, faith opens up blessing, contempt shuts it off. I remember, I don't know how many years, maybe 15 years ago, I spoke at another church and it was not like speaking at this church. I show up and uh, people just felt like they were going through the motions there, right? They show up on Sunday morning. There was no interest. There was no curiosity. When I asked people to open their Bibles, they're sitting here like this. 
I'm like, this is going to be fun. And it wasn't. You could just feel there was a, a deadness in the room. There was no expectation that the Holy Spirit might be moving and at work among the people there. And that's the idea here, right? We come expectant, with faith, ready to receive. He will bless. He will meet us there. If we come with no expectation, with no faith, we can't expect him to show up in any meaningful and powerful ways. I don't know about you. I don't imagine Jesus walking away from this situation in anger. I see him walking away in this sort of sadness. He walks away. He continues his ministry elsewhere, wherever the seed will take root. And that leads us to the next part of this section. And like I said, at first, I didn't really understand why these two sections were connected. In fact, I tried to pass off this section to Brian to preach on next week. Get ready. He gets to preach on John the Baptist being beheaded, though. So uh, probably not the best trade for me. But as I really started to dig into this, I can see a clear connection here. You see, I started to think about the disciples. They've been with Jesus for a while now, and you would agree they have seen some pretty incredible things. They've seen some amazing crowds responding positively to Jesus and his message. And I just want you to put yourself in their shoes right now. Everything is going great. They have, they're like bodyguards trying to keep people away from Jesus. They show up in the synagogue at Nazareth, and what do they see? They must have been amazed that these people reject Jesus. And they learn a lesson that specifically ministry is not always going to be easy or accepted. I can tell you after 20 years of full-time ministry, let me pause here. How many ministers do we have in the room right now? No. Keep raising your hands. Every single one of you is a minister. Some of us are called to vocational full-time ministry. Never forget you're a minister. But in the last 20 years of vocational full-time ministry, I can just say the last three years have not been easy. They've been discouraging. Ministry isn't always full of roses. You've experienced that too, I'm sure, in your ministry, wherever God has placed you. And the idea here is Jesus is preparing us, preparing the disciples for what doing ministry in this world is gonna look like. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the rest of our text together. And as we're going through it, I'm gonna apply the different lessons that Jesus gives the disciples to us still today. So let's pick up this story in the second part of verse six, which says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He moved on, right? Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Cool passage. And in this passage, I notice four things that Jesus does to prepare his disciples and thus still us today as they go out and do ministry. First thing I notice, if you're following, is that he sends them in pairs. The Greek here is duo, duo. So forget Batman and Robin. These are the first dynamic duos, right? They're sent out in pairs. Why would Jesus do this? There's two key reasons, if you're following still. He sends them in pairs to provide support 
and credibility. Let's break those two down. During, doing ministry in pairs was already a pretty common practice in this day and age. This is what John the Baptist did with his disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven. This was still the strategy the early church used. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 13, these really cool verses, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off together. As a pair, they go off and minister in the world. I love this. And it lends support to why we do ministry in collaboration here at Cherry Hills. Doing ministry with others provides the help and the fellowship and the encouragement and the accountability we need to keep going. Jesus gives the disciples the advantage of companionship because he understands the power of discouragement, especially when one is rejected. I can honestly say, because I am a weak person, I do not know if I would still be in ministry without the encouragement and the companionship of doing ministry together with others. There have been times when I'm just ready to be done. I think one of the hardest jobs in the world is being a solo pastor somewhere. Like, I don't know how you do that without encouragement. I also believe Jesus understands something important about the body of Christ. And this is why I believe in collaboration within churches. Did you know that no one person has every spiritual gift necessary to run the church? And yet we still act like that's true. I mean, think about Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas, his name literally means the son of encouragement. Paul, what do you think of when you think of Paul? Encouragement? I think more of teaching, truth-telling, wisdom, discernment. How awesome is the Holy Spirit that he led the church to send these two together to be an effective pair in ministry. Jesus sends people out in pairs for another reason, though I mentioned it, credibility. In the Old Testament, you have to have two witnesses in order to provide credibility for an argument. For example, we read in Deuteronomy 17.6, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, A person is to be put to death, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. I mean, why? Because there's got to be credibility to whatever accusation is taking place. And in the same way, when we go out into the world to minister, there's got to be some credibility involved in it. This is why Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. It wasn't just one or two of the disciples, 500 people being willing, able to give credibility to the fact that he is alive and well. Now, for us today, I'm not sure that means we're supposed to go house to house in our neighborhoods like other groups do in pairs, but I do think it has a bigger implication for living the Christian life as ministers today, and it's this. If you're following, we need encouraging community as we are sent into this world. You cannot be a lone ranger Christian. You need to surround yourself with others, like-minded people who are on the same path as you. I mean, I'm not like a doom and gloom person, but it's getting harder to be a follower of Jesus right now in our culture. I pray for our younger people, our, our high schoolers, our middle schoolers, our college students. It's just getting harder. So here's the thing. Surround yourself with some people who can encourage you on that journey, who can give more credibility to the lifestyle you're choosing to live. The second thing Jesus does to prepare his disciples before he sends them out, if you're following, is he tells them to travel light 
relying on God's provision. Did you notice this, right? He said, only carry the clothes on your backs, the sandals on your feet, and a walking stick. Don't do anything else. Don't carry any provisions or like bread or extra clothing, no money to purchase things, no food, no change of clothes, no, no money, not even a change of underwear. Like friends, this would be like you laying out on your bed like you do, we do, right? Before we go on a big trip, here's my outfit for this day and my outfit for this day. And you leave it all there and take your toothbrush and your coat. That's it. Why would Jesus ask them to do this? Because he wanted them unencumbered by the distractions of too much stuff. And because he wanted them to realize they can trust that he will provide for them in every situation. This is something you see all through the Bible, right? This is what he tells the Israelites when they flee from it. From Egypt, don't carry too much stuff with you, otherwise it'll weigh you down. This is what he tells Gideon and his troops, this crazy story where he tells Gideon to reduce his troops down to 300 people before he fights this major battle against the Midianites. Like that is trust, willing to, prov- God, willing to believe that God will provide. Jesus says, like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, trust him who sends you to provide for everything that you need. Jesus' instructions here are a radical dependency. Wouldn't you agree? Now, obviously, I think this has several implications for us today. I would actually say maybe even more than for the disciples because we have a lot of stuff in our world today. In fact, we have danger of having too much stuff that it weighs us down. So I believe Jesus would say to us, if you're on your notes, keep our lives simple and free from distractions. If you want to maintain an effective ministry, how many are ministers in the room? I'm just making sure you're listening. That's a little better. I still see some of you holdouts. If you want to present a faithful witness, simplify. Keep your life uncomplicated and free of distractions. Have you heard the saying, mo money, mo problems? You've probably experienced this, right? The more stuff I have, the more time it consumes, the more things break down, the more I'm just involved in that kind of thing instead of the thing that Jesus is asking me to care about. The Bible is full. I mean, Jesus talks about money more than anything else in the Gospels. Why? Because he knows this could be one of the greatest challenges for us. This temptation to accumulate more, right? We are bombarded every day with messages. You need this, you need this, you need this to be happy and satisfied and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus says, listen, that stuff's all gonna rust. But you can store up treasures in eternity. We talked a couple weeks ago about what we wanna talk about, preach on next year. And we're actually gonna do a four-week series on simplicity, and I'm scared to death about it. Because I don't wanna hear this, Right? I don't want to live a a simple life. I like all my stuff, and I want more stuff because that's what makes us happy. But friends, part of the call to Jesus is simplifying our lives. I can't tell you what that might mean for you personally. You're going to have to determine how much is too much between you and God. You're going to have to make that determination. I can't give you a lift, but I just want to ask, is this at least something on your radar as you go and minister into this world? Could this not be one of the ways we are set apart from the same patterns of this world that were transformed and not conformed to the patterns of this world? As you cultivate a real relationship with Jesus, as you listen to the Holy Spirit of God in your life, determine to live with less. Be willing to say at some point, enough is enough. I can be content with what I have. This applies to our time too, right? 
Are you distracted by anything? I mean, is there any invention in the last 30 years that could possibly distract us from ministry? I can't imagine there being one. I realized in my own life that my phone was a distraction. And so I made a commitment, a spiritual practice, a spiritual habit of plugging my phone in at night downstairs, not where I sleep, right? It's so easy to be distracted and tempted by all of these things, right? Again, why is this important? Because Jesus wants us to know if you're following, we can depend on God to give us exactly what we need. Yes, that could be material resources, but specifically in the context of you being sent out as a ministry, as a minister on his behalf, it means he will provide even the words for you to say if you're willing to depend on him for that. This is the real meaning of that often misquoted verse. You guys know this verse? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Believe it or not, that is not about scoring touchdowns or hitting home runs. That is about contentment. It's Paul saying, I can be content in whatever situation that God has put me because I can trust that he will provide exactly what I need in that situation. This doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good planner, be strategic. It just means where are you putting your confidence and trust? Is it in your stuff, the things of this world, your bank account, your 401k? Or is it believing with everything you have that you can trust Jesus Christ to provide for your needs as you're sent out into this world? Christianity, radical Christianity is not comfortable. It's radical. So get your tunic and get your toothbrush and get on your way. Third thing Jesus prepares his disciples for as they sent out is to expect two responses to the gospel, rejection or welcome. And I believe this is why these two texts are connected, right? The disciples just witnessed Jesus being rejected by his hometown. And listen, you got to expect the same at times, he says. In the text, Jesus says, rejection looks like two things. Quote, failure to welcome you, a lack of hospitality. And quote, a failure to listen to you, a rejection of the message of the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus says, when that happens, shake the dust off your feet. It's just a simple way of saying, move on. Don't dwell there. Move to someone who will welcome you in the message of the gospel and the kingdom of God. He refers to that to here we talk about this is look for people of peace. You have a concept of what that looks like? If you start talking about spiritual things, you're gonna know if it's a person or peace pretty quickly. They're either gonna shut, a, shut you down with a wall or they're gonna be like, huh, that's interesting. And I can just say to you right now, if that's the case, God is at work and he's asking you, yes, you, to join you in that work. I find this quite freeing. And I wanna talk about two things that we can apply to our lives as sent ones. First, and this is the one that might just be for me. I don't think it is though, but here it is. Don't take rejection of the gospel personally. Like I said, this might just be for me because this is what happens. I will spend years praying, speaking to, investing in someone and there's just no movement. And my initial thought is always, it's gotta be me. I suck at this. God, send someone else, please. I'm just not gifted in evangelism. I just don't have the words to say. I'm not eloquent enough. So on and so on and so forth. Don't take it personally. Why? Because Jesus was rejected. And I'd say he was pretty gifted at it. We gotta expect the same thing to happen at times. Just, let's just get over. 
Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends to heaven in John 15, if this world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also, but I love this little glint of hope. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Some will reject, but some might respond. And that leads to the second application. I already hinted at this. Look for persons of peace and invest in them. I've tried to take my call as a sent one seriously throughout my life. Um, It's not something I feel like I'm gifted at or, or anything like that. I'm looking at some of you. I know some of you are very uh, gifted at that. And there's been a lot of situations where like I give up. And then all of a sudden, a year later, this person is open again to the gospel. And I'm just like, you can't explain this stuff. <laughs> this is just how the Holy Spirit of God works in someone's life. So just be on the lookout. Where is God at work? in your path, in your coffee shop, at your gym, in your school? Is there anybody who you could call a person of peace and then spend time investing in them? Listen, he did not call us to go out and talk to people without the ears to hear. He told us, proclaim the truth boldly and effectively to those who are ready to receive it. If they're not ready to receive it, move on. Not in some arrogant or prideful way. I know too many people who do that. But just wait for another time when God will open up their hearts. If you keep praying, I believe he will do that. I'm telling you, there is an openness to Jesus right now in our culture. If you're not listening to me, listen to me right now. Something is happening post-COVID in our culture right now. Like, we're getting 10 guests a week to our church family. What's going on? There's an openness right now post-COVID more than there ever has been. So listen, let's look for that. Let's look where God is working and join him in his work in this world. Something cool and exciting is going on and we get to be invited into that. And that leads us to the final thing. This is the most important thing I can tell you. Jesus gives his authority to continue his work. That's why I love verses 11 and 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Gee, who else did those things? Jesus did those things. Who else, what we say around here is showed and told the gospel, right? Did good works, but also proclaimed the truth of the kingdom of God. Jesus did those things. And he says, now I'm calling you to do the very same things that I did with my authority. This is why I love how Luke starts the book of Acts, verse one, chapter one, verse one. Here's what he writes. In my former book, the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all the things that Jesus, what does it say? began well he's gone now yeah he's still doing it through his church who he has empowered through his very own holy spirit friends the difference is we now have jesus authority the greek word used here is exclusia which is more than just power power would have been the word dynamis authority it's an influence we now have that comes from a power source outside of ourselves. Let me try to explain in an illustration. Imagine you're going, you're stopped at a stoplight that's broken down and there's a police officer doing this kind of thing. The truth is that police officer has no power in and of himself or herself to stop someone from running that light, right? Can't lift up a car, can't stop a car. 
But that police officer has authority. Authority that has been invested into them from a city or a state or a government. And they're using that authority to stop traffic. If somebody ignores that police officer's authority, they're going to find themselves before a judge who will then say, by the authority invested in me, I, whatever, I declare you guilty and you're going to pay this fine or you're going to serve this amount of time. That's authority. It's different than power. And the crazy thing is Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority. When you stand there, when you preach, when you minister to people, you're doing it with my authority. And the disciples saw the same things happen. People were healed. People repented and received the gospel by faith. And this has a huge application for us. If you're following, we are still sent out today with his presence and with his authority. Again, I love the new banners we have up here because every week we're reminded that we're sent once. And before he says these words, he says to the disciples and to us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what does he say next? Go. Not in your own power, not in your own authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go now. Using that authority, just like that police officer, as you go minister into this world. And that is the mystery, the mystery of being sent once. We have the presence of God dwelling in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we have his authority and power to minister the same way that he did to people in need. The weird thing is, we talked a little bit about this earlier. We often think we have to have it all together to do this, right? But you know what Jesus loves doing? He loves forcing us to rely on him and his provision in these situations. He loves taking weak people and making them strong. He loves taking ineloquent people and letting them share the gospel. Paul recognizes, the apostle Paul, we put him up on a pedestal. He recognized this in his own ministry in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Let's read that out loud together on our notes there. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you experienced that mystery? Like Moses, we say, I'm inadequate. I'm not worthy to speak. I don't want to represent you. And Jesus says, you're just the person I'm looking for then. Because in your weakness, that is when I will be most strong. There's nothing special about the disciples. We've seen it. They're, they're faithless. They're cowards. They're not courageous. And yet they turned the world upside down. Why? Because of their own power, their own brilliance, their own eloquency? No, because they were backed by the authority and presence of Jesus himself. Do you believe that he might want to do the same with you, with me, with us as a church today? If you ask me, it's a terrible idea. I don't know why God did it this way, right? I'm weak. I'm scared. I don't like rejection. Don't send me, but he says, you're just the people I'm looking for. Because when you are weak, I am strong. Like that officer, we have no power in ourselves, but the one who dwells in us has all the authority and power we could ever need. And so as we close, I'm just gonna ask you this question. Will I depend on Jesus' presence and power as his sent one? 
How many ministers are in the room? How many of us are sent out into this world as his ministers? It's astonishing, isn't it? I know some of you, that's crazy he would do that with you. But he's done it with you. So are you willing to do it, to go in your weakness and trust that he has given you the authority to show and tell the gospel to a world who is desperate to hear it? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for the nourishment that it is, sometimes the challenge that it is, and today it definitely feels like a challenge. We thank you that you have prepared us for what ministry will look like, what being a sent one, what being on mission with you in this world is gonna look like. It will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Lord, I really do believe you're doing something Jenny shared one story, but there's so many more. You're doing something in the world today. Help us to leave the distractions behind and to follow you where you've called us, believing and trusting that you provide what we need, the words to speak, the means to care. Remind us we don't have to do it alone. You've brought us together as this body Cherry Hills Church to be your hands and feet. So as a community, we want to offer ourselves to you and go. We want to go into this world and make disciples. In our weakness, in our inadequacy, we trust that you are present and that you pour out your power. We want to see a revival in this city. But it starts here. So help us join you where you're already at work for your sake and for the sake of others who need the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.